Episode of Bam here on Bam Monday Night. We're your hosts. I'm Boris, and as always, I am joined by Matt. Bonjour. How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. DJ Aqua Aguilar coming in with the hot mix there, throwing together three Scott Hall themes. I love it. Exactly. And the perfect reason why is because to end the show tonight, we are going to be chatting top 10 Scott Hall matches. Yes. And there's just uh, just a list I threw together to celebrate the great Scott Hall. You know what I mean? It's possible we missed one or two. And uh, we'd like to hear your suggestions, your shout outs as well. We'll talk some more about Scott near the end of the show. Uh, but yeah, this show is definitely dedicated to the great Scott Hall. I listened to his uh, interview with Stone Cold on the Stone Cold podcast. Must listen if you haven't heard it. Oh yeah, he, it's, it's crazy how smart he was around, like for the business. Oh. It's, it's, it's incredible. This dude was like like a, a genius, a wrestling genius. And he was a Randy Orton type in that everyone who ever wrestled Scott Hall said, oh, yeah, he's the best wrestler. One of the best wrestlers I've ever been in the ring. He's the best worker. He's like the one. The way they talk about Randy Orton, they talked about Scott Hall. And I feel like the fans kind of got it more with Scott Hall. Like more people liked Scott Hall in his time than they do Randy Orton now. So he was able to translate that that to the fans more. And he was so damn cool. Just just an excellent mind for wrestling. Excellent wrestler. Uh, great loss to the wrestling business. Yep. So it is Monday. It is a little later. We do apologize for that. But it was just a crazy weekend with real life happening, commitments, work and a bunch of other stuff in between uh, and some wrestling shows that we wanted to talk about. So, you know, NWA presented the Crockett Cup. I believe that that was a, uh, you know, an important show to kind of cover as quick turnaround as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice when we can do that here and there. So we, uh, we're we bringing you the, the both nights, the two-night Crockett Cup review. I only watched night two. Boris will give you a full rundown of the first night as well. It, uh, it was a pretty up and down showing. Definitely night two was up and down. But at the end of the day, I think it was a win for the NWA. I do think it was a, a, a slight victory with the feet on the ropes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I think that overall it was a pretty good show. I think that if, you know, you went into the show not really knowing the NWA and you watched it because of the OGK or the Briscoes or whomever, you know, it was a pretty good showing. Um, you know, we have to talk about that main event, the Matt Cardona match, because that was interesting. Um, I'm surprised what they ended up doing, but at the same time, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, no, not surprised. Funny, Jeff Jarrett gets the routes up and things start getting wonky, Boris. They start getting frisky. Refs start getting bumped. Even if Jeff Jarrett himself is the ref, it's uh, it's fun times. But yeah, let's start out by uh, how are you feeling today, big homie? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Like I, I, I'm a, I'm a little under the weather, and I've been under the weather for like the past day, day and a half. Um, it's just you know with the weather change. Every time there's a weather change, you know. I'll, I'll get sick uh wow. someone very close to me is also pretty sick so you know close contact and all that fun stuff you know here we are 
Ah, I feel you. Well, get better, man. Feel better soon. Get that tea and honey and get some fluids into you. Take a walk if you can. If you're feeling up to it, exercise definitely helps a lot in these times, I feel like. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, man, you know, feel better soon, big right. homie. How are you? What's going on? How was your weekend? I, oh, it was pretty good. Uh, not as eventful as I would have liked, but still, it was all right. I got to spend some time outside, which was nice. Uh, worked today, walked home for most of it, grabbed some groceries and walked home. And it was just, it's such a beautiful day in Toronto. I was listening to this Scott Hall podcast and I'm just, yeah, I've just been in a pretty good mood lately. So, you know, like, trying to ride that out, Boris. I don't know exactly. You got to take it, especially after, you know, a very weird winter, a very weird couple years. You know, mandates are changing yeah. here in Toronto and in Ontario. So things are very different today, it seems. Absolutely, man. Yeah, even to, like there was a noticeable difference just today, like seeing seeing people's faces. Like I work in retail and today was the first day that we didn't have to wear a mask. I do still wear a mask when I'm on the floor. I'm going to do it. Just personal choice for a week or two. See where we're at. You know, whatever. It is what it is. But yeah, customers were coming in without a mask and it was it was cool. You know what I mean? It was actually I wasn't offended. I wasn't scared. It's nice to see people's faces again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, man, all right, so end of last week, this little tournament known as the NCAA yes. basketball tournament started, and right away we were getting some bracket breakers. Yeah, man, brackets were busted right away. If you were a Kentucky fan, you were hurt early in this tournament. Uh, yeah, some huge upsets. It's been a really good March Madness. This is kind of what we want out of the uh, the yearly college basketball fun fest. In the last couple of years, we, we canceled one tournament. The other tournament was kind of weird. So, man, I'm excited to have the NCAA tournament back in full force. You see the people. You see the, the, the students, uh, not just on the court, but off just really living and dying with every possession it's just something beautiful the ncaa tournament yeah exactly it's it's all it's always fun always fun watching it we got to watch a bit of a couple games here and there on uh thursday evening so that was always a bunch of fun but what are your thoughts like what's how 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 how's your bracket looking Oh, my bracket is a disaster. It is completely destroyed. But that's fine. That's part of the fun of March Madness, right? But yeah, no, I had Tennessee in the final. They're toast. Uh, who else did I have in the final four? That's toast. Another team that is uh, long gone from this tournament now. But uh, I still have my champion, Gonzaga. Also had Arizona in the final four. But yeah, I was going to quickly go through the Sweet 16, give uh, the state of the NCAA tournament picks here at BAM. See if you agree, disagree, have any uh, pertinent thoughts. All right, let's do this. All right, we're going to start with the East Regional. This one's pretty funky. We have a four seed, an eight seed, a 13, or sorry, a three and a 15, three versus 15. So we'll start with the four versus eight. That's UCLA versus North Carolina. UCLA is favored by two points, but man, North Carolina looks tasty right now. They're like looking drastically underrated, underseeded as an eighth seed. So I am going to take North Carolina to beat UCLA. Purdue is playing St. Peter's, the 15 seed, the big story of the tournament. They eliminated Kentucky. They're the Cinderella right now. So do you think St. Peter's can beat Purdue? You know what? I, I, the way that they played on Thursday, I would have to say yes. But the reality, is, uh, the reality yeah. is that probably no. 
Friday, March 25th, 7, 10 p.m. This is a very interesting game for the simple fact that St. Peter's plays a tough, dogged, like Detroit Pistons style, like team ball kind of game. Purdue is led by stars and they're kind of like a disjointed team. They have Jaden Ivy, who's probably going top five in the draft, but they're like they're like one that like that kind of that one person team you know what i mean kind of like relying on Jaden ivy a lot so it's going to be a very interesting game wouldn't shock me to see saint peter's pull that off and that's why i think north carolina is safely going to the final four i think north carolina shocks ucla and beats probably saint peter's honestly i think saint peter's is going to win again really that's crazy i bet I, i can honestly see that like they're not it's not an underdog of like you know how did they get this like they're they're winning their games like just you know convincingly absolutely and they're doing it with like sick defense and just like dogged team play like i said and that's purdue is a perfect matchup for them because they're a kind of team that will maybe fall apart when tested so we're gonna see so that that was the east regional the west regional uh this is all chalk a one seed plays a four a two seed plays a three so we have gonzaga versus arkansas i'm riding gonzaga all the way to the final uh duke versus texas tech at any moment, it could be Coach K's last game in uh, NCAA basketball. I think this is the moment. I think Texas Tech is going to beat Duke. Yeah, I can see that. I can honestly see that. Like Duke has had an incredible run over the past few years, and I do see like a changing of the guard in that conference right now. So, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you there. Yeah, and Gonzaga will beat Texas Tech going on to the Final Four. South Regional, we have a 1 versus a 5 and a 2 versus an 11 seed. So Arizona versus Houston, this is a tough game. This honestly could be the national title game right here. Either one of these two teams look good enough to win the whole shebang. So this is this could be the best game. This is uh, starting at 10 o'clock on Thursday, March 24th. This is going to be a banger. I think Arizona will pull it out. And I have Arizona making the final four. They're going to beat the winner of the 2-11 game, Villanova versus Michigan. Michigan going kind of on a Cinderella run. I believe they want to play in to get here, but uh, I think this is where the luck runs out. Villanova is going to beat Michigan and lose to Arizona. Arizona to the final four. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. I think that one might be the only one that you've mentioned so far where I completely disagree with you. Mm. But, but I can see this happening honestly i can see i can see arizona going through so who would you take there gonzaga no oh the south is uh, oh, the arizona south. houston villanova michigan villanova villanova so yeah yeah that's what i thought you meant yeah word yeah villanova yeah they have the pedigree jay wright arguably the best coach left in college basketball yes we're looking at you coach k and uh, <laughs> there you go uh finally we have the midwest regional number one seed kansas versus number four seed providence Rhode Island based and uh, a number 10 versus a number 11 Miami, the U the 10 seed versus 11th seed, Iowa state, the cyclones, I believe. Yeah. This one's a crazy one. This one's a freaking crazy one. Yeah. It's a very tough one. The Midwest was a tough thing to call unless you were just going to ride Kansas. But uh, I do think Kansas is going to get by Providence. Miami looks so good right now. It's uh, I don't just want to go chalk. You know what? Let's go. With uh, Michael Irvin and the boys, we're going to ride the U to the Final Four here on BAM. The U beats Kansas. The U beats Iowa State. And uh, the U loses to Arizona in that, in that Final Four. I think Gonzaga will defeat North Carolina. We will still get a Gonzaga versus Arizona Final. And we will still get Gonzaga's first national title. 
You heard it here first. Well, you didn't hear it here first. Probably heard it in a lot of other places. But you heard it here also. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is Gonzaga's year. I honestly think that this is it. This is a team. They have it. They have all the pieces that they've been missing the past few years. And the way that the brackets have worked out, it, they, I'm not going to say they have an easy route, but it's not as hard as it's been in previous years for them. I don't think it's as hard as Arizona's route. I think the bottom of the bracket is harder than the top or like the left side is harder than the right, depending on how you have it laid out. But I, uh, I absolutely agree with you. And they might have the most talented man right now in Chet Holmgren, the man who's going number one He's going in the NBA one. draft, Chet Holmgren. So, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So I think both of us agreed. Gonzaga's taking it. I think so. So I'm sure they will lose immediately. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, right? That's pretty much how it works with us. All right, so that's uh, our NCAA. We're going to be checking in as the tournament progresses. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, it's been fun. Like, it's it's honestly fun. It's a, it's a good tournament. Uh, and this year, like I say, there has been enough bracket breakers and just fun games. Um, you know, there haven't been any complete squashes. No Goldberg Laparka squashes. <laughs> well, there's been one or two Goldberg Laparkas, but yeah, no, <laughs> very few. That's hilarious. Yeah, there's been some awesome games down the stretch too, man. Like, and like you said, like St. Peter's, Kentucky will go down in legends. Like that one's going to be mentioned probably forever. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. So let's move on. We're going to quickly talk some F1. The F1 season started with the Bahrain Grand Prix, and things look very different. I know it's only one race down, but Ferrari is taking number one and two with Leclerc number one, Sainz number two, number three, and number four is Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton at number three and Russell at number four. And last year's champion, Max Verstappen, and I use champion very, very loosely because of the controversy to end last year caused by loosely. human error, caused by God knows what. So Max Verstappen is all the way down at number 19. And what's crazy is that his partner, his his teammate, Gasly, is number 20. So Red Bull has started off very badly. But again, one race down, one race down. All the Canadian lovers stroll is at number 12 with Aston Martin. Um, so, yeah, so so in interesting start to, to the season. Let's see if Ferrari can keep this up. Let's see if Mercedes can come back. And, you know, the biggest question mark, and I think a team that has a lot to prove, is the Red Bull team because of how last year ended. Yeah, it's a bad look for the company. I thought that shit was supposed to give you wings, Boris. It's, <laughs> Red Bull people aren't allowed to be going slow. Uh, you know what? It's funny that you say loosely. I would. I kind of think like the uh, shocking circumstances kind of made that title mean more. I know what you're saying, but that's that's one of the most. That's the reason why we're talking F1 right now. Arguably, you know Here's what I mean. Thing. I think the reason why the we're most talking. The reason why we're talking F1, and as lifelong F1 enthusiasts loathe this reason but this is the reason why a lot more north americans are watching f1 that is the netflix series strive to drive it yes. is it's 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 honestly the reason why i know a lot of people who have gotten back in or started watching f1 even though, dude even on social media i'm watching people who i never would have thought to watch a race you know Posting yesterday morning at 11 a.m. Oh, you know, first race of the season, blah, 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 blah. It was crazy to see. So, you know what? 
Say what you want. It's gotten the sport overall has gotten a lot more attention because of the Netflix show. Absolutely. It's a really good idea, man. Honestly, it wouldn't be the worst idea for AEW or any wrestling company to kind of maybe do the same kind of thing because that's a very it's a very good call. I've heard nothing but good things about Some the Netflix argue. show. Some could argue. And I know I'm going to make a very controversial thing right now, but say what you want about Total Divas, it gave mainstream attention yeah. to women's wrestling. Absolutely. Hey man, say what you want about Cody Rhodes and Rhodes to the Top, which I did not watch one second of, but I saw clips online and hey, like they were kind of letting you behind the scenes a little bit and it was pretty intriguing when it wasn't Cody talking about, you know, his dog or stubbing his toe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, the, the, these reality shows, if done properly, can elevate and can be good kind of, you know, parallel content to whatever it is, whether it be wrestling, whether it be racing. Look at the HBO series 24-7, right? Like, that yeah, series has just done wonders for for what, whatever they're covering, whether it be boxing, whether it be hockey, um, the you know, the Heritage Classic or the, um, yeah, the, the, the January 1st game, whatever it's called. I don't care about hockey. Uh, <laughs> the winter classic is the january 1st game they do heritage classics as well yeah. and i agree uh, the 24 uh, 7 especially for boxing guy uh, one of the kevin nash shoots he talks about it it's so funny it's going i'm sitting there reading subtitles like fuck i'll buy this thing for 60 bucks i gotta see who wins you know yeah. what i mean it's so true like they, they do such an incredible job and i a, a truly like home run well-made sports documentary will get more eyes on your product Exactly, and that's one thing I love about the WWE content on the network, right? Their 24, 24 series, whatever they're called. Um, they have some great documentaries, <laughs> you know. Great disrespect to the NHL tonight out of Boris. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. You're always going to get that out of Boris. But, yeah, anyways, so that's F1 in a nutshell. We'll be talking F1 here and there, not every week, not every race. But, you know, we'll we'll, we'll check in, have some, have some good convo, see where Verstappen ends up, see how Daniel Ricardo ends up, see if Leclerc and Saints can continue this, and see if Lewis Hamilton is as washed up as some people claim he is. <laughs> Why? That is harsh. Boy, people forget fast. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, vroom, vroom. All right, with that said, I think it is time to move on to some wrestling chatter. We're going to chat a little bit about the NWA Crockett Cup. Then we're going to talk about the tap. Top 10 Scott Hall matches. So let's start with the Crockett Cup. Night one, Matt, you I, you mentioned at the top of the show you only watched the second night. You kind of hinted that overall it was a you know a win. Um, but, you know, I, I know we make fun of NWA. It's easy to make fun of NWA, you know, because of some of the shows that they've had in the past. But I honestly think that this was a great show for people to give a shot to NWA. You're going to, yeah. Uh, you you definitely see what NWA is all about. It wasn't it wasn't all bad. There was some good stuff on it, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still waiting for something out of NWA. Maybe it's just that one character, like that one. It just seems like the handcuffs are on everyone in this brand to some extent. But you know what? Maybe that's kind of point of it. They want to slow it down. They want to bring it back to like a more basic, a more understated style. And, uh, yeah, it's just that old school Southern wrestling, especially the main event of night two. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It, it definitely was emblematic of all things NWA, this show. Yep, exactly. All right, let's get to it. So the first match was Magic 
Jake Dumas versus Captain Yuma. Um, not much of this match. Match with Jake Dumas won this match. This led us into a four-way play-in match. Uh, Violence is Forever, Dominic Carini and Kevin Koo versus the Heat Seekers, Elliot Russell and Matt Sigmund versus the Bad News Boys, Brandon and Brent Tate versus the Rip City Shooters, Joshua Bishop and Wes Berkeley. This match was all right. And moving into the 16th seed of the Crockett Cup were the Bad News Boys. Love the seedings. Love the idea of doing this around March Madness time. At least they get that much right. No, it's, it's a really good call on the end. And one thing I part. really enjoyed was at this point, the commentators, like you said, were really pumping up the seedings because they are ranked 16th. So that means that they were going to have to face Bestia 666 and Mecha Wolf. And they were really building this as like, you know, their NCAA tournament. Like, can the Bad News Boys pull off the amazing upset? Yes, can they be the St. Peter's of the field? Absolutely. And they kept talking about brackets being busted, and they were doing really doing some work to try to remind you that the uh, there's another big tournament going on right now. Yep. And I also like that, despite the fact that the Briscoes are inarguably a better team than Bestia and Mecha Wolf. They're the champions in NWA. So the NWA tag team champions are the number one seed. So that's fine. I'm cool with that. Yep, exactly. All right, in the last match of the of their preview was the briscoe brothers mark and jay versus the now uh vic dallas versus hale collins dumb boys won this leads us into night one and the first round of the crockett cup so the first match was hawks airy uh luke and pj hawks versus the end onanson and Pero. Uh, this match was actually pretty fun good start to the cup Hawks, Airy ended up winning. Uh, this was actually, like I said, I really did, did like this a lot. This leads us into the second match, which was the Pope and Big Strong Mims versus the Cardonas. Um, the Cardonas ended up winning this match. Again, pretty fun match. Uh, you know, the Cardonas are actually a lot of fun. Uh, the Pope, he's interesting in the ring. I'm still not sure on him sometimes. Um, and then... We move on to a very weird match, which featured the Blue Meanie and Aaron Stevens versus the Dirty Sexy Boys, consisting of JTG and Dirty Dango. Yes, JTG and Dirty Dango. <laughs> Dirty Dango, what a name. Yeah, what a, what a foursome. So it's Damian Sandow and the Blue Meanie versus Fandango and JTG for anyone who's not 100% up to speed on their new gimmicks. And yeah, Damian Sandow, a.k.a. Aaron Stevens, a.k.a. Aaron Idol, now it seems like, is doing like, what is he doing? Like some kind of weird acting student crossed with like a whiff of gold dusty, like an Adrian Streetish kind of presentation like it's a very it's a strange new character he's doing it's like it's a, it's got a whiff of gold dust to it you know it does it really does i'm not sure i'm not sure he 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 on night two he cut a very weird promo i wasn't sure about it and his character like you know what if there's anyone who can pull off a character it is aaron Stevens. so you know i'm in a wait and see position with that yeah, fair enough. Like way, way too early to pass judgment. He's still finding the character too. You can see it. But I wonder, I wonder what this thing is going to become. It's very interesting. Yep. 
So moving on to the match, uh, advancing to the quarterfinals was JTG and Dirty Dango. And at this point, I needed to say, I have to say this, and I say this with a dusty cup. Yeah, I can only take so much tag team wrestling. Yeah, exactly. I could see like needing a break. Even night two, I watched the first half live and then I, I took a break and watched the second half this morning and after work. So, uh, yeah, it's if if you're not used to the slower pace, if you're used to watching like AEW shows, for example, and then you dip into an NWA show, it's going to it's going to be like, ooh, you're going to hit a you're, you might hit a wall halfway through. Yeah, exactly. And and, and like I. I the style is just like you said, it's like old school Southern wrestling. So if you're more into the old school, you know, slower paced, full storytelling of wrestling, then this is perfect for you. But I can only take so many back-to-back tag team matches. Um, we had another one right after this. As Strictly Business, Chris Adonis and Tom Latimer went up against Gold Rush, Jordan Clearwater, and Marsh Rocket. Uh, Gold Rush ended up winning this match. And this match, again, nice. all of these matches were very basic. Not bad, but not great. Yeah, I have ratings for night two. But yeah, I ba- I, basically everything's between two and a half and three on this That's show. Exactly it seems it. like 100%. Right yeah. 100%. And, uh, I like to shout him out every time we bring him up because I didn't see him on Crockett Cup night two, which kind of hurt my feelings because I like him a lot. Love me some Marche Rocket. He's really good. Yep. All right, then the Commonwealth Connection, Doug Williams and Harry Smith faced the ill-begotten Rush Freeman and Alex Taylor with Danny Deals and Jeremiah Plunkett. Um, The Commonwealth Connection won. This is a very interesting team. This is honestly the most British Bulldogs team I've ever seen, as obviously Harry Smith, you know son of british bulldog and then we had doug williams so it was a very like it it honestly is like watching the british bulldogs (laughs) i uh it's rare that i 100 percent disagree with you but i am polar opposite disagreeing with you on that one i don't see that at all big homie but i respect your opinion and i will fight to the death you're right to say it (laughs) (laughs) all right lateral billion uh, Bastia 6-6 and Mecca Wolf versus the Bad News Boys. La Rebellion ended up winning. And again, okay match, but, you know, we're f- we're at the 1th and the 16th seed here. So it was exactly what you expected this match to be. Um, as we move on to the quarterfinals, the first match of the quarterfinal were the Fixers versus the Cardonas. The Cardonas ended up winning. And actually, this match was probably the best, one of the better matches of the night. I'm going to have to actually single this match out. Uh, the Cardonas have, they finished the match off with a neckbreaker frog splash. They end up winning. I'm going to have to give this match three and a quarter. Nice. I, I like this match a lot. Nice. Yeah. Three and a quarter pounds of gold, let's say, out of the five pounds of gold scale for yep. NWA. And yeah, if you're unfamiliar, the Cardonas are, I believe, VSK and Mike Knox of WWE fame. And they're named the Cardonas because it's Matt Cardona and the Cardonas because he's the band leader and he's a dickhead heel. I love Ex- it. Exactly. All right. This led us into the Briscoes versus, versus Dirty Sexy Boys. The Briscoes ended up winning in a very, very, very basic match. 
Um, this led us into PJ Hawks versus La Rebellion. Again, La Rebellion ends up winning. And uh, yeah, and then the last match of the Crockett Cup, we had the Commonwealth Connection versus Gold Rush, and the Commonwealth Connection end up winning. Nice, nice. The Commonwealth Connection, of course, being Doug Williams and Harry Smith, the anti-Bulldogs. <laughs> yep, so overall, I'm going to have to say this match, or this night, was three out of five, and out of five pounds of gold. Like, it was <laughs> okay. It was not bad, but nothing really stood out. Yeah, fair enough. And not to not to spoil it here, but if, if we had to put a, a rating on night two, I would go like three, three and a half. Like thinking about it, it was pretty good, but it took me a couple portions to get through. But at the end of the day, nothing was like offensive. So let's just roll right into it. Crockett Cup night two. Did you watch the pre-show? Do you have notes on the pre-show? Um, I have some notes. Uh, there were, honestly, there wasn't anything worth really talking about, in my opinion. The, the, the tag team match that they had was just too crazy. It was w- way too much going on. Way too much going on with OGK and Scion. Like, it was, yeah, it was too much. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Let's just roll right into the show. So uh, we opened the show with the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, against the Cardonas, Mike Knox and VSK. I mean this as a compliment. The Briscoes were not giving their all, but they're so good that they still had good matches at like 65 70%. But you can tell on these shows that the Briscoes were kind of working just to survive like no that that's too rude they were working to not get hurt and even that sounds too rude this is a compliment they're they're pros they know what they're doing they know how to get in there and have an entertaining match without killing themselves and they also know how to get in there and have an entertaining match while killing themselves and they know when to do each and that is basically the secret of wrestling right so this is a this is a compliment having said that this was like a three-star match right so mark Briscoe pins VSK after a doomsday device in seven minutes and 45 seconds, Boris. Yep. Yep. This match, again, I think you you summed it up really well. And it kind of goes to show you how, you know, how, how good we have it nowadays in professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. And it's one of the things, and we've talked about this, and it's something that I've talked about in a non-critical way or a critical way. It depends, you know, what mood I'm in about AEW and, you know, other, other, other promotions out there where – they're always at a nine or a 10. Yeah. Like uh, PWG being the worst offender of this I've ever seen in my life, but every match is a WrestleMania match with 15 kickouts. Yeah. We're spoiled as wrestling fans, dude. And this is is the whole point. And I think that a promotion like NWA and ROH to a certain extent, I kind of feel like, you know, uh, because we're so spoiled, we don't appreciate NWA and ROH to a certain extent. 100% 100% right, man. 100% right. Because it's still an incredibly hard, taxing, like physical, dangerous profession. And I'm sitting here about to crap on a couple matches in a row. So let's let's just at least show that appreciation. Like even if we, you know, even if we say we didn't like a particular match, we, re- we understand and respect wrestling and wrestlers and know how hard this shit is. Having said that, this next match was a, was a stinker. It goddamn sucked, Boris. The 2022 Crockett Cup Final Four, Commonwealth. Wealth Connection versus Louder Bellion, the skittish bulldogs. 
How did you compare these guys to the British Bulldogs? You didn't Especially watch night one. You didn't watch didn't. night one. Did. You didn't I watch did night one. Both <laughs> men seemed injured yesterday. So if you didn't watch <laughs> night one, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go against Fair me. enough. Fair <laughs> enough, buddy. Fair enough. I did it. What the hell were they doing on night one, though? Because they look, they look pretty bad here. Doug Williams especially was having a rough night. After this, after these next two matches, I was like, there's no way I'm making it through this yeah. entire show tonight. Like, this show has hit a ditch and so, i did think it did really pick it up but yeah so the the commonwealth connection defeats la rebellion nwa tag team champions mind you when harry pins wolf with a brett's rope power slam a second rope power slam eight minutes and 58 seconds bad wrestling match yeah. one pound of gold out of five the unfortunate part here is that it was and this is what you're going to get in these types of tournament a complete clash of styles Big time. Yeah, it was like two Lucha bases versus two aging British wrestlers. Yeah, like, European-style, yeah, you know, you know, British-style toughness, right? Like, yeah. Just complete. It, it, on paper, yeah. It was either going to be, like, weirdly compelling or a disaster, and it was a disaster. Not a good wrestling match. Yep. Next up... This, this, this is a weird one. I thought this was like good storytelling wrapped around a match that would have been bad in 1990, let alone 2022. Yeah. But I like the storytelling. The story so, in this was great. It was probably one of the more intriguing stories leading into the night. You know, yes. you had two former best friends, now bitter enemies, champion, you know, uh, putting up his belt, cockily putting up his belt against <laughs> his former best friend. Cockily, indeed, Cockley. Boris. <laughs> so Anthony Mayweather, the former Crimson, I believe, in TNA, correct me if I'm wrong, versus Jax Dane. Yeah, uh, best friends turned bitter enemies. So uh, what happens is Jax Dane still has his money in the bank, cash in a title shot whenever I want gimmick from the uh, the Super Series or whatever it was called. That goddamn abomination, that awful, awful. Sorry, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain a lot today. I'll try not to do that on the podcast. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so... So Jax Dane and Anthony Mayweather have a really weird grudge match where Jax Dane continuously rolls out of the ring over and over and over and over. That's all he's doing is like hitting a move, rolling out of the ring. And sometimes like the do one thing gimmick in a match works a lot. I like it. A great example. Did you see Hiromu versus uh, Minoru Suzuki recently? Yes, they I just did. chopped each other. Yep. For like 20 minutes, for like 15, 20 minutes, they just chopped each other. Kota Ibushi and Taichi had a match not not too long ago, a couple years ago, where they only delivered leg kicks. So they kind of were going for like a similar vibe, like do one thing over and over. But I thought it ruined this match. And it was just Jax Dane being a heel, that old school stalling kind of heel. Eventually, Anthony Mayweather submits Jax Dane with an arm bar. I, I wrote at this point one star bad match, not a terrible effort, way too long. That went 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Then as Anthony Mayweather is leaving, Jax Dane attacks him, beats the crap out of him for like four or five minutes, throws him back in the ring and cashes in his title shot and wins with a lariat in 32 seconds. So at the end of all that, I wrote, you know what? Two pounds of gold out of five. Good storytelling wrapped around a match that would have been bad 30 years ago. Yep, the like I said, the story around this match was great. The story in the match was good enough, but it, I, I just feel like they didn't execute it well enough. The the faux ending leading to the to the title switch, I kind of laughed. 
<laughs> I thought it was, yeah, like I, I laughed in a good way, though. I was yeah, laughing in a good way. With in a good way. Laughing with it, not at it. Yes. Not at it. But yes, absolutely. But yeah, Anthony Mayweather almost killed himself on a dive. Billy Corgan, William Patrick Corgan, if you're listening, and we know you are. No, definitely not. But put some mats on the floor. I know they're going for the old NWA vibe, the concrete. Someone's going to hurt themselves badly. It's 2022. Put some mats on the floor. Just put some mats on the floor. Agreed. Agreed 100% there. Like it's, uh, There were a couple times where wrestlers came crashing out and... They had to like remember that there are no mats out there, so they fell really awkwardly. When like when Bill Watts took the mats out in 1992 in WCW, people were upset. People were upset about that, and that was 30 years ago, man. Like put the mats on the floor so wrestlers can do dives because wrestlers are gonna do dives anyway. They're just gonna do it. They're fucking insane. Yep. NWA Women's Tag Team Titles: The Hex versus Pretty Empowered. Man, I like this match, and I really like Pretty Empowered as a tag team. Lots of personality. Yeah, I really enjoyed them. Um, you know, going into this, I did a report on Slam kind of with, uh, you know, talking about giving my predictions. It was like a bunch of staff writers. And I have to say that going into this match, I thought the Hex was just going to squash them. Like, it wasn't even going to be a close contest. After this match, I kind of want to see Pretty Empowered take the belts. I know what you're saying, man. I I totally agree. Very impressed with Pretty Empowered. They were doing like a like a high energy sassy uh, heel situation, and the Hex just the the seasoned weathered champions. Hex uh, win with Hex marks the spot, which is a combination dominator and running big boot to an upside down opponent's face. Great finisher. Seven minutes and thirteen seconds. And uh, yeah, you can talk me into this being the best match on the show so far. We're gonna go three pounds of gold out of five. Because it's Good surely job. not the next match, that's for sure. I actually I liked this match. I thought it was above average, but I was a little disappointed. My expectations were too high, I feel like. Yeah. But yeah. My expectations for the next match were very high. And the person who won, you know, no disrespect to him, but I just nah, think the wrong person won. It's not our boy Colby, but I think they're telling a story, and Colby's going to get that title yeah. eventually. Yeah. But yeah, the band podcast, we are the original Colby Carino fans. We will pump that guy's tires forever. He had an incredible interview with us, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, and it was only you who talked to him, but still, it was great, great stuff, and uh, we are big fans of Colby. One of the top matches last year was Colby versus Steve, and they should have put the belt on him. Instead, they put the belt on Homicide, former ROH world champion, Makes some sense, but uh, yeah, this was a good match, not great. Homicide pins Colby Carino with the cop killer, the most dangerous move in wrestling, the vertebraker, the inverted pack, uh, the inverted backpack pile driver. Is that what you'd call it? Something like yeah. that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. The uh, most yeah, dangerous so move in all of professional wrestling. The most crazy. dangerous move I've ever seen. <laughs> so crazy. Hey, you uh, know who's yeah. for sure lost a step? Austin? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God bless him. Austin Aries is definitely slowed down, but he was so he was like a Roderick Strong type. He was so quick, lightning speed in there. So he's he's not like a Steve Austin. Steve Austin kind of always moved slow, always just brawled. So Steve Austin's gonna look basically the same at WrestleMania. Austin Aries loses a step. He looks like Russell Westbrook on the Lakers right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Except when they face the Raptors. Oh, my heart. That's very true. Anyway, so yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, homicide wins nine minutes and 40 seconds, three pounds of gold out of five. I was disappointed. Yep. And then this leads us going to the back to Kyle Davis. He's at the podium with Trevor Murdoch. 
Trevor Murdoch's in his street clothes. Davis asks how he's feeling. Murdoch isn't happy about what's going on. He's upset by Aldis going for the title shot, but he is more upset um, that he was still bleeding while Aldis went to the ring and took that opportunity. Murdoch calls bullshit, says Cardona took everything from him, and that he goes on every podcast to bury him, to bury the company, to bury the industry, to bury all of wrestling. But the other issue is that you, the fans, cheered on for Cordona. He's got nothing to lose, and he's not getting the future endeavored here. And if he gets fired, it'll be on his terms. And at the end of the day, whether it's Aldis or Cordona, they'll have to face him down the road. I like this promo. It was pretty good. Trevor Trevor Murdoch's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. He ain't Ric Flair. But you know what? He's he's a serviceable Mikeman, just like he's a serviceable wrestler. And I thought this was a, a damn fine promo from Trevor Murdoch. Good job. Yep. I, I, I really do enjoy the fact that they're really building up the fact that Cardona is kind of shitting on tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, they're doing they're doing a really good job of it, actually. Velvet Sky, her disgust in the main event, yeah. I thought was almost overblown. It was so but they they're selling it. So hey, they're selling it hard. Yep. Uh Next up, triple threat match for the NWA World's Women's title. You could tell me this was match of the night, buddy. I think this was my match of the night. Camille defeats Chelsea Green and Kylie Ray when she pins Kylie with a spear 12 minutes and two seconds. Really solid, fun match that the crowd ate up. Yep. This, uh, yeah, the crowd really loved this match. I really enjoyed this match. I don't know how Chelsea Green is wrestling, you know, with a broken wrist. Um, Camille continues to just improve week over week. Every time I see her, every few weeks, she just gets so much better. She is improving rapidly, big time. You know what I would love to see is Camille versus Jade Cargill, the immovable force versus the uh, antisocial object or uh, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Boris, wait a minute. Was the Chelsea Green thing not a work? Hmm? Yeah, it was. It, it it did. It ended up being, but I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, very yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're on the same page. Anyway, I thought this was match of the show. I thought it was really good. Three and a half pounds of gold out of five big homie for this one. Yep. 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 I, I Like I said, I kind of have to agree with you that this probably was the match of the night. And it seems so much better when you compare it to the next match. Oh, man. Honestly, though, nowhere near as bad as it should have been. Yeah. I've seen right. worse matches and on paper this is a disaster tyrus versus rodney mack brodus clay versus rodney mack tyrus wins pins rodney mack with the heart punch boris eight minutes and 15 seconds i actually love that the heart punch is still a finisher in 2022 it's so insanely stupid and ridiculous that i buy it it's fun yeah exactly exactly it's it's ridiculous but that's why i love wrestling exactly so bad it's good this is a tough one to rate. I, I'm tempted to go as high as two pounds of gold out of five just because I was, thought it was going to be way worse, and they actually worked a decent little 10-minute match here. It was fine. It wasn't terrible. So, yeah, two pounds of gold out of five. Not not even Mendoza line, but not the minus five-star debacle I was expecting. On paper, it was minus five. Reality, not as bad. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, tip of the cap to you. All right. We talked about this promo earlier. It was Mae Valentine backstage with Aaron Stevens. She asks him as a friend, are you okay? Steven then goes on a very long rant and tangent that he's trying to reinvent the the division, that he's here for change. Dude, this was the hardest promo I've ever had to 
even try to make sense of. <laughs> yeah, you know? and, like, I, and I think that that was the point. Yeah, for sure. I think he's. He, I said it before. He's finding this character. That's what it is. He doesn't quite have it down yet. We're at the opening stages of whatever this is gonna be, and he's still kind of working it out. But yeah, it's got like a hint of like an Adrian Streetish, gold dustish kind of flair to like his acting character. It kind of seems right now. Yeah, to like midlife crisis. Yes, <laughs> severe midlife crisis. Yep. All right. So that that's basically that promo. And again, too early to really start judging this. But uh, you know what? We're talking about it, so obviously it made an impact somewhere on us. Absolutely. It was memorable, for sure. Uh, That brings us to the 2022 Crockett Cup Finals, Boris. The Briscoes, Jay and Mark, defeating the Commonwealth Connection, Doug Williams and Harry Smith. Uh, They hit a J-Driller and then a Froggy Bow, 13 minutes and 55 seconds. Way better than uh, Doug Williams and Harry's first match. This is kind of like a poor man's, perhaps a homeless man's version of what FTR versus Briscoe's will be. You know, it's kind of, kind of seemed to me like almost like a test, like a job interview for them in that match to some extent. It's not the first time the Briscoe's have worked like a ground based team, you know, but kind of felt like that to me. Yep. That's kind of how I interpreted the match. It was a good kind of test, a good build up warm up match to eventually facing FTR next Friday. Uh, So I like this match a lot. And and I think the crowd really loved this match. Like they were just going nuts for this match. Yeah, and they treated the Briscoes like they were stars. They treated the win like it was a big moment. Briscoes win the Crockett Cup, go off in celebration, triumphant baby faces. Crowd loved it. Yeah, we're gonna go. Uh, it was it was still not a great match, but above above average presentation of pro wrestling, all things considered. So we are gonna go three pounds of gold out of five for this one. Seems fair. Yep, agreed. This leads us into the main event. Matt, go ahead. Tough one to rate, buddy. These are the kind of matches that either like work for you or they don't. And to me, I always default on the audience on this one. Like you look at the crowd and if the crowd is sitting on their hands and they're shitting on it and they don't enjoy it at all, then it's not working. And you can see that in like earlier TNA. You can see that around the indies and in AEW from time to time and in WWE a whole lot. And that happens. That didn't happen here, man. The crowd was eating this up. They were invested. They were rolling with this ride. So I struggled to call this a bad match. But uh, Matt Cardona defeats Nick Aldis by disqualification when special referee Jeff Jarrett mistakenly thinks that a low blow incurred from Chelsea Green was actually delivered by Mickey James. So what was he cool disqualifies. about this? A couple things. Number one, the fact that uh, Mickey James was in the ring. So when he turned around, he he got low blowed, and then he sees Mickey James in the ring. So his interpretation of this, you know, made sense. The other thing of major note is that there was a lot of confusion because everyone thought the match was over because Matt Cardona was tapping out to the ankle lock. Yeah, or that, no, not the ankle lock. It's clover leaf. Yeah, the clover leaf. Yes. Uh, that's the thing. I feel like they pulled the finish off tremendously, and the fans ate it up. And I don't think, I think this is, it's such a weird thing because if you're a new fan watching NWA, maybe you think, oh, that was dumb. Like, I don't want to watch this anymore, but I don't know. Respectfully, I don't know how many new fans they made at that price point. You know what I mean? And I think if you're invested in this product and you're actually buying the shows and you actually care to see this storyline, I think this is a pretty good finish. 
I think it added heat. Like I said, the fans were definitely with it. Like they cheered, they exploded when they thought the title changed. And when they found out that the title did not change, they, they exploded the other way. That was a loud boo. They got the exact reaction they wanted both times. And what was great, my favorite part, is how fast they ended the show when the decision was official. Yes. Yeah, they didn't dilly-dally. They didn't putt around. And there was nothing left to gain. So get out right there. So yeah, I actually... I thought this was kind of brilliant, man. I'm going to go as high as three and a half pounds of gold. 70%. It's a B. I thought, I thought this was great. I actually, not quite great. It was very good. Yeah. I really like this. And now what's going to happen, right? You have Trevor Murdoch, who's pissed off at the world. You have Nick Aldis, who got screwed out of a win. And you have Matt Cardona doing Matt Cardona things. <laughs> doing a lot of Matt Cardona things over and over and over. I think we clearly have Nick Aldis and Mickey James versus Cardona and Chelsea Green set up down the road. That could even main event a pay-per-view if they really wanted to. Yeah, if they want to milk like this this trifecta, this three-way, then get as many sub-matches as you possibly can. You know, you, you have so many different combinations available to you because the Commonwealth Connection and the Cardona's got involved. So you have many possibilities of matches for TV before your big pay-per-view. I'm assuming yeah. triple threat. Interesting, interesting. You know what? I, I think there's some logic in, like, uh, putting the women's belt on Chelsea and doing a mixed tag for both titles. I could see that, like, headlining a pay-per-view. I can see that as well. I can really see that. So I, I hope that's where they go with that. But yeah, you, so like I said, like there was some bad stuff. I did not care for the Jax Dane match. I thought the Briscoes kind of not mailed it in, but they're not giving you their A game. And that's fine. Like, but if you're paying for a pay-per-view, like if you're, you know what I mean? Like, ugh, it's tough. So I, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I do think it was a win, but also NWA is not setting the world on fire. Having said that, if you like NWA, if this is what you're looking for, if you're if you think wrestling is too much, too wacky, and you just like to see some old school wrestling, this will scratch that itch. It will. Well, like I said, honestly, you know, we're spoiled wrestling fans, right? Like, yes. this is a style that some people really like, and and that's cool, right? But what I love about wrestling today is that there is literally something for everyone. Absolutely, yeah. And there will there is a niche for this, and I just wonder if it's ever going to be more than niche programming. Yeah, I, I you know what? I'm going to have to say probably not. I think it will always be a niche promotion. I think that until they get some substantial TV deal, and I'm talking a legit TV deal, not fight TV, not some streaming service, a legit TV deal. And I'm not even saying like Bean or Fubo or one of those. I'm talking <laughs> legit TV deal. You know, Crackle. Yeah. No, none of that crap. It needs to be a real station that more like, you know, that, that a good percentage of the country can get. And then we'll see. But until then, all these promotions running you know, on the streaming services will be a niche promotion. All right, Boris. So I think all we have left is our top 10 Scott Hall. And uh, yeah, man, I just kind of threw this together because I loved Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Like he meant a lot to me. He was, he was such a, such a huge part of the early nineties in WWE from 92 to 95, 96. He was one of the mainstays, one of the major, major faces of the most, prominent famous wrestling company there is so man 
uh, not only that, but obviously the work with the NWO and just his mind for the business. If you've ever listened to him in podcasts or shoot interviews, the respect that all the other wrestlers had for him, specifically in his crew, they talk about him like he's some kind of deity, but around the business too, guys like Paul Heyman, Stone Cold Steve Austin, all these people who have come into contact with Scott Hall just speak with uh, reverential terms about his mind and his love for wrestling. So yeah. I just wanted to kind of pay that forward a little bit. Yeah. We love just Scott Hall and uh, let's talk about some of your best work. Exactly. So before we start this list, as always, I have no idea what's gonna, what the list consists of. So my reaction is 100% on the fly. So we'll see how this goes. Sometimes, Matt, you throw a curveball on me. Uh, so we'll see. But I doubt it. But I just I just like you know everyone knowing that <laughs> yeah it's fair and i almost i almost went with sacks of shit out of five because we saw that officially the uh razor ramon fallaway slam was known as the sack of shit but i feel like that would be too disrespectful so we're just gonna stick with toothpicks out of five for the great scott hall all right here we go matt take us away one of the most underrated Survivor Series matches of all time starts out number 10, and I picked it specifically because you see the trust that Vince McMahon had in Scott Hall. All the baby faces basically come down to Scott Hall's music. Uh, so the match, sorry, is, is it's a Survivor Series match that kicks off the Survivor Series 1993. 1-2-3 Kid, Marty Jannetty, Macho Man Randy Savage, and Razor Ramon versus Adam Bomb, Diesel, IRS and Rick the Model Martel. What a colorful bunch of characters, Boris. Yeah, very colorful. A lot of colors in that ring for sure with ring gear. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, a rainbow in there. So yeah, notable because the baby faces come out to Razor's music. Three of them, Kid, Janetti, and Razor, strut down to the ring. Razor gets on the microphone, starts the pay-per-view with a promo because this match was advertised, Boris, as Kid, Janetti, Perfect, and Razor. Versus the heels. But Razor gets on the microphone, says his partner was so perfect, he tag out before the match even begin. That's the only impression I will do, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I love the fact, like, how he got a buy from the Latino community. Because <laughs> he was so cool. I would not get that buy. I am less cool oh, than I'm Scott Hall. off at you right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> As you should be. Cancel Matt. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, so Razor Ramon calls out Macho Man Randy Savage. You hear him break character when he says, Macho Man Randy Savage. He says it in his real voice, and he's so excited to introduce a legend of wrestling into his team. Like, legit, that's a shoot. You know Scott Hall felt that in his heart. And uh, man, this was just, it, it was typical 90s Survivor Series, but it was pretty good storytelling. And it ends with 1-2-3-Kid and Marty Jannetty pulling off a big baby face upset at a time when that didn't really happen too often, although the kid was getting some wins, obviously. But yeah, Kid and Marty Jannetty end up in the sole survivors. There's a really kind of gross spot here where Razor Ramon has, I think it's the model up. It's got to be the model because it's not Adam Bomber Diesel for the Razor's Edge. And IRS runs in, smashes Ramon in the face with the briefcase, and it sucks because the camera doesn't even catch it, but... Once the camera shows Razor Ramon's face on the outside, you can tell, oh, IRS smacked him with this briefcase. He's bleeding from the mouth, checking his teeth. You can tell he was probably not pleased with that. But yeah, solid Survivor Series match. The opener of Survivor Series 1993. Three and a half toothpicks out of five for this one. 
Awesome. Awesome choice, man. Awesome choice. Uh, I remember this match because of Macho Man and just it just it just seemed like a very weird like it's goes to show you, you know, how strange 93 and 94 were for WWF in terms of names. 100%. People just coming and going and like some yeah, some weird like well Hulk Hogan was there, you know, Yokozuna, Carlos Colon, Bob Backlund, all these people, man. It was crazy. Yeah, exactly. All right, number 9. Uh, yes, I, I, it's worth noting too because we always talk about the commentary, right? So we, I think we should sometimes shout out the commentators for the matches. So yeah, that match was called by Vince and Bobby. They called the Survivor Series 1993. Next up, Royal Rumble 1993. Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon coming in at number nine. Might be blasphemous to some. Sorry, Eddie Kingston, if you're listening. Again, I assume you definitely are. But uh, yeah, so this match was very, very good. But uh, this is how we rated it. If you remember in our Royal Rumble list, we had a Razor Ramon three-pack, Boris. And we're just bringing that Razor Ramon three-pack right back to this list. So we're starting off with Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon from Royal Rumble 93 for the WWF title. Commentated by Gorilla and Bobby Heenan. Yeah, this was probably the first time that I watched him like in, in, like, in a pay-per-view uh, match. And it was against Bret Hart. And I just absolutely love this match. This is like, I already thought Razor Roman was cool. But seeing him in this match, I like just, this guy's just something amazing. Absolutely. Something special, clearly. So we're going to go three and a half toothpicks out of five for that one. Next up from the Royal Rumble, 1995, Jeff Jarrett versus Razor Ramon. We're going to go three and a half toothpicks for this one as well. This was a really good match with kind of a weak, kind of flat ending. If you remember, Jeff Jarrett just kind of pins him when his leg gives out and gets the three. But that just shows, just kind of shows you how bulletproof Razor Ramon was. But yeah, man, kind of a weird ending to a really, really solid, solid Southern style wrestling match as Jeff Jarrett is wont to do. Yeah, and then again, you know, if, 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 if the end of 93 was a weird year of wrestling. All of 95 was very weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that like, whole that whole mid 90s, 93 to 95 is an acid trip. Like Vince McMahon trying whatever he can. Chuck Norris, King Kong, Bundy coming back, all these names. Yeah, and and, and like I've like we complain about roll-ups and weird endings today doesn't even pale in comparison to like the mid 90s in terms of just random weird endings like why how is this a wrestling ending 100% yeah like just pins Razor Ramon just like pins him lateral press was the finishing move on this one but yeah announcers on this match Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler calling the Royal Rumble 95 excellent three and a half toothpicks out of five up next, number seven on our list, Intercontinental title, Royal Rumble, 1996, Razor Ramon versus Gold Dust. Mr. Perfect and Vince McMahon on the call. Yeah, man, the Razor Ramon Gold Dust feud, like if people always talk about Gold Dust and Piper, but people always forget about Ramon and Gold Dust. Big time. And that, that had a lot of heat. It was like, it was groundbreaking and you couldn't do it again, but like you couldn't do it today, but uh, it was, it was definitely like for its time, a, a very memorable feud. And those matches did have heat and gold dust yeah. and razor Ramon are both incredible wrestlers. And they, you know, they had pretty good chemistry, boy, some awesome punches were thrown in this match. Two of the best punchers literally ever in wrestling. Uh, in my opinion, Dust, Dustin is probably the best puncher. There's just something about his punches that I've always liked. Always. 
You know what's funny? My opinion, Scott Hall, best puncher. <laughs> there you and go. it's the same. They're they're right. They're very close, though. They're very close. Jerry Lawler's up there too. Brett, uh, for me as well as up there too. Uh, can't argue that. Number six, we're going to WCW Slamboree, nineteen ninety seven. It's a no disqualification trios match. Boris, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Six versus Kevin Green, ya boy. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. This uh, a very important match, historic match in North Carolina, in Charlotte, the home of the Nature Boy. Now, this match is awesome for a number of reasons, but you have to, if you're going to watch it, it, it's it's good to like be familiar with the story and the actual heat going on here because backstage, these two groups did not like each other. And they knew that, they were all professionals, but there was like real bad blood. And this was actually really important. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and six lay down in the middle of the ring. They all take everyone's finish and the show ends with the baby faces triumphantly walking away with the NWO slain in the middle of the ring. And that rarely happened in WCW. One of the only times it happened was Slamboree 1997. It was a really important thing actually for for Rick Flair and Roddy Piper to see with their own eyes that these men would actually do that they would actually be professional to that degree and when the big show came along they weren't going to fuck around they weren't going to Montreal screw job anything they were going to lay down in the middle of the ring because they all had a job to do and not that that was ever in doubt but I do think like maybe it was <laughs> I don't know I wasn't there yeah no honestly and it's it's kind of funny because like you know this was like the era of what i would be calling the wrestling yellow pages if anyone remembers that right so you know it, it wasn't like the internet wrestling community was huge then it was just starting you got some stuff like the you know obviously the the, the wrestling observer newsletter you had the yellow pages so you kind of knew that this match was kind of heated in a sense but now after the fact you know um, and sh- a bunch of interviews talking about this match, you realize just how impressive and professional uh, Scott Hall and and others were. Yeah, and all of them too, because there was there was bad blood both sides, yeah. right? And it was like you know Roddy Piper wasn't out there gouging eyes; like they worked together and had an in- incredible match. And it's is it like. Uh, you know, Misawa versus Kawada? No. But it, it, is it a technical classic? No. But if you're looking for like storytelling, if you're looking for crowd heat, incredible performance by Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes on commentary. I think this is a great match. So we're going to go four toothpicks out of five. Great match here. No disqualification trios match. The main event of Slamboree 97. Excellent. Excellent choice, man. Thanks, buddy, and a good, a good and a good showing by Kevin Green too. Yeah, underrated celebrity match. All right, coming up next, the Forgotten War Games match, match number five, NWO versus WCW. Your list is for NWO: Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Bogus Sting for WCW. Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, and actual Sting. Fall Brawl 1996, another great match called by Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I remember bits and pieces of this match. I don't remember. I don't remember too well, actually. So this is like arguably the best storytelling I can think of in a match. Like if you think of all the things going on, you have like the NWO taking over. You have Lex Luger not trusting sting and that's the big thing so sting feels left out 
and Sting isn't even showing up backstage. The WCW is is they're thinking that Sting has joined the NWO because the week before there was a Sting-like creature, a man dressed in Sting's clothing who beat the shit out of Lex Luger, right? So now WCW is thinking, oh, fuck, Sting left. And Sting saying, that wasn't me. I swear to God, I love WCW. I bleed WCW, right? So finally, there is an NWO Sting who comes out in this match, followed by the real Sting. And it just, yeah, so many stories going on. Like you have the, the three NWO members running roughshod but you have lex luger's redemption you have sting's whole thing going on sting's basically starts here the thing that will pay off at starcade 1997 you have one of arn anderson's last ever matches because he's about to retire due to neck problems you have rick flair fighting valiantly for the for the hope of wcw for the last breath of the nwa for that like lineage that dates back to george hackenschmidt and all those things that jim ross used to say but since 1905 he's fighting for that and they're losing because they couldn't trust sting boris so even if like there wasn't you know there wasn't a tope in this match obviously there wasn't a 450 splash but this was a great wrestling match and i will fist fight anyone who disagrees four toothpicks out of five love it love it it's a bogus sting, Boris. A bogus sting. All right. So I feel like I maybe went out on a limb on those last two ones with my rating. This one, I don't think you can even argue, is an all-time classic based on pure storytelling. We're going to Bash at the Beach 1996, buddy. It's a trios mash. The Outsiders and a mystery partner versus Lex Luger, Macho Man Randy Savage, and Sting. But whose side is he on, Boris? Yep. Yep. Honestly, if we were just talking about historical matches, there's no doubt that this would be number one or two. But absolutely. It, but you know what I mean, right? Like, but but overall, I remember watching this match. I remember like this match so clearly in my mind. Like, especially the ending. But throughout the entire match, it was just like you know, Hall and Nash was just like you knew what the NWO was eventually going to be because they just dominated a lot of this match. Now, with all due respect to anything that happened in Japan or Mexico or overseas, I'm sure there were better matches, but they're the two most important matches of the nineties were the Montreal screw job. And this match right here, bash at the beach, 1996 Hulk Hogan joins the NWO Kevin Nash and Scott Hall uh, with Hulk Hogan. Versus Lex Luger, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Sting. And it's actually like an incredibly well laid out, brilliant match in a lot of ways. Lex Luger gets taken out early, early on. So it's a tag team match. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall versus Macho Man and Sting. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall get the advantage. And finally at the point where where they need the help the most, finally at the point where everyone's down, Hulk Hogan does come out. And we've all seen it a thousand times. But yeah, just an incredible moment in wrestling. And if you actually watch the match wrapped around it, you'll be surprised. It's it's really damn good. Yeah, Macho Man, one of honestly his best performances in the nineties. Oh, it's so so fabulous. And Hulk Hogan coming out the whole promo at the end. Gene Okerlund in disgust, just interviewing the crowd him, just heart throwing the crowd. Oh yeah. Uh, just wrestling they don't, they don't make them like this no more you guys this is classic stuff four and a quarter toothpicks solid a not an a minus an absolute a it's not a technical classic in the ring but absolute all-time moment in wrestling all right man loved it match number three we're going to the action zone boris 
October 30th, 1994, the one, two, three kid in Razor Ramon versus Diesel and Shawn Michaels for the WWF tag team titles held by HBK and Kevin Nash. This is a classic. This is an all-time classic tag team match, especially for its time and place on basically a superstars level show. It was the first ever action zone, so they were starting hot. They were starting with some some action, Boris. But uh, when you consider time and place, WWF 1994, all-time classic match. Oh, this match was amazing. Uh, and, and, and I, by chance, saw a YouTube link last week, and I'm like, is this the match that I remember? Turned it on. Boom, it was. And I was just so happy to rewatch it last week. Yeah, it's so brilliant because anytime Razor Ramon went for the Razor's Edge by the ropes, you knew it, something was happening. Either he was getting flipped over the rope or someone was going to pull the other guy out. So Razor Ramon goes for the Razor's Edge by the ropes in the first 20 seconds of this match and fucking plants Shawn Michaels with the Razor's Edge by the ropes. And Shawn Michaels is out. And the first heat spot of the match is Diesel getting worked over by the baby faces. And they just kind of took the whole structure of a regular WWE tag team match, flipped it on its head. There's all kinds of finisher kicks out. Oh, wow. All kinds of finisher kickouts in this match. Man, it's just incredible. Go yep. watch this one if you haven't. This match, in 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 some ways, was kind of like you know the new school of, of of and philosophy of professional wrestling, right? Like it was a more modern interpretation of what wrestling is today, as opposed to the NWA old school style. Yeah, this was more AEW than NWA power. This match for sure. Maybe maybe wouldn't quite look so today, but I'm telling you, in 1994, this was like a young box match. Yep, exactly. All right, that leaves us with two, and you know them, you love them. We just got to break them up in basically whatever order you want. So I understand the people who think that the SummerSlam match is better. I personally am on the other side of the fence, but they're both incredible all-time classics. And here's the thing. The more you know about the 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 rematch, we're talking about the ladder matches now, of course, the, the more you know about the SummerSlam rematch, the more you tend to appreciate it, right? So let's first talk about number two on our list, ladder match, WWF Intercontinental title, Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon from SummerSlam 1995. Pretty abysmal show that had this all-time classic on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why this match really stands out as opposed to the WrestleMania 10 one. Yes, a million percent right on that one, buddy. But so the the funny thing about this match is they were basically told you can't use the ladder as a weapon per se, which is kind of like, what, what does that even mean? And at some points they, they like slam each other onto the ladder, but there's not like battering ram. The decree was you are not allowed to use the ladder as a weapon. So they had to have a sequel to one of the most heralded matches in the history of the company and they had to do it like shackled, basically. Mm -hmm. So the story goes that the click all sat down and tried to plan this out. And this was one of the moments where they knew that Triple H was special and that he had incredible, brilliant wrestling ideas. And he was going to go on to great things, right? Because apparently Triple H put together a lot of the SummerSlam 1995 match. And who knows if that's true, but that's coming from like X-Pac and Scott Hall's mouth. So I tend to believe it. You know, you can see, you can hear that on shoot interviews that they gave. And yeah, it's just very, very interesting. Knowing that this match is like spectacular and probably better than the first. But when you actually watch what they gave you, here are the issues with the match. Uh, 
the ending is is a little botched. They had an idea for a finish that didn't quite work. My interpretation is I think Razor Ramon was supposed to swing the belt over to Shawn Michaels, eat a sweet chin music, and then Shawn Michaels would be able to grab the belt because they, they what they did was they set up a ladder on either side of the belt rather than being right underneath the belt like you see in every other ladder match, right? Sean and Razor each set up a ladder beside the belt and they were kind of fighting. Sean super kicks Razor off of his ladder, but he can't quite reach the belt from where he is. So he has to get down, pull it down. He actually falls twice off the ladder. And I think both the weird botchy ending and the fact that Doc Hendricks is on commentary for some reason uh, hurt this match slightly. But at the same time, brilliant, brilliant wrestling match. That's the SummerSlam 1995 one. Yep, this match, so, 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 so our listeners, so we watched this match together, and the one thing that I noticed sort of way, and one of the comments I'll save for the next match, because this is something I loved about ladder matches in the past, um, but my point for this match is, Michaels took an ass-kicking in this match. Like, oh my god. His back, I don't know how he didn't break his back earlier in his career. There was a couple moments where we just like out loud were like, oh my God, like my Michaels was getting the crap beaten out of him. But yeah, it seemed another thing about this match is apparently Razor himself like called the match. Like, I guess Shawn Michaels is known to like call really good matches and he had been calling matches for a long time. Even as a rookie, I guess Shawn Michaels was calling matches like earlier than most people. But Razor Ramon called this match too uh, in the ring, which. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with that term, apparently, again, and we're not wrestlers, but is the person who's like leading the match basically and, and saying we're doing this, like calling the moves that are going to come next and whatever. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. Anyway, so yeah, so that is what we know about that match. All of that information is available online. Absolute brilliant, classic presentation of professional wrestling. Beautiful, really. And the only thing that Razor Ramon has done better is the first time that they did a ladder match on TV. And the ironic thing about both these matches is Sean and Razor both say that they did ladder matches around the loop. They did house shows that were much better than the two that they did on pay-per-view because sometimes the ladder just bounces right. Sometimes they just come up with the right ideas. They just have springs in their boots and they say that they've had better matches than even these ones, which are both five toothpick, five-star all-time classic matches. So yeah, let's talk about the WrestleMania one a second. Yeah. So the WrestleMania match for me, uh, obviously was the better match. So I agree with your list. And the one thing that made ladder matches, especially then really special and, and this is kind of what we both mentioned on Thursday night when we watched these matches. And that's, you know, there was one ladder, essentially. And yeah. a huge part of the storytelling was who's going to bring the ladder into the ring. Yeah, though there was one ladder and it was halfway up the ramp and you had to go get the ladder and bring it in. That was part of the ladder match. They weren't just strewn about everywhere. And that's actually like a lost art of the ladder match. And it's funny because uh, in the second ladder match, there's a spot where Razor Ramon pulls out a second ladder from under the ring and the crowd like oohs and ahs and gasps and they do two ladder spots. But it's funny, like in the second major ladder match in WWE has history, the second televised ladder match, they were already bringing in ladders from under the ring and they were already ruining the psychology, arguably, of the ladder match. Yeah, exactly. But, in a, you know, it's it, it's the natural progression of matches like this, right? And I'm okay with that, but... You know, that that first ladder match, you just saw stuff that you literally never saw before unless you went to a house show or something like that, right? But 
on pay per view. That match was j- just to me in a in a pay per view where you had one of my favorite matches of all time, Brett and Owen. You know, this match still stands out. Absolutely, man. And uh, yeah, if you were there in 1994, even if you were like I was seven years old in 1994, but I was still like diehard wrestling fan by that point. And I loved that first ladder match that I was diving off of my dresser and stuff because of that first ladder match. And man, like, let me tell you that, that like you knew that the game was changed. You know what I mean? Like that was like something like special and different. Even, even as a seven year old kid, like the way they spoke about it for one, but even when you got to see the highlights and when you actually saw the match yourself, it was Man, like they really like took it. It, it. It's it felt like watching Dr. J dunk for the first time. Yes. You know what I mean? Like exactly. it felt like it just felt like this is something different. Like this is something that we've never seen before. And yeah, man, that more than anything, I think is why this match needs to be remembered as a five star match. You need to put yourself in the shoes of someone who was there in 1994. Like watch, go back and read the 1994, the WrestleMania 10 observer where Dave Meltzer just is like, what, what is this? And he says it was better than Brett and Owen. And I, bro, we love Brett Hart here. We love Owen Hart here. I love that match here, <laughs> but he might be right, man. He yeah. might be right. Oh, yeah, it's one it, and two. Either can take yeah. it, depending on my mood of that day, right? Like, 100%. both of these matches were so good. This ladder match, and again, you know, this for sure shortens both men's careers a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, it's sure. just, they were just falling flat on their backs. There's one spot in particular that illustrates how much has changed in ladder matches since this moment. If you watch early in the match, every ladder match you've ever seen, the guy takes the ladder sideways, puts it up on the apron and then the other guy runs in and does the drop kick. Right. And the guy, if he takes the drop kick, he's got the ladder, he's holding it in both hands, but he drop kicks the ladder that he's clearly holding in both of his hands. And he takes a safe bump to the floor or he'll lift up the ladder and buddy will just slide throughout the other side. Right. In this match, Razor Ramon puts the ladder on the apron and starts climbing into the ring and he's not protecting himself. He's got his hands on the top ropes And Shawn Michaels kicks this ladder and this thing could have broken Scott Hall's ribs. He is not protecting himself at all. And you see Michaels just make solid connection. And this is grotesque, man. This is a bad one. Like there's the ropes are protecting him. It wasn't a full on blow, but like you can watch that back. Like this baseball slide, he's not protecting himself. And that's the difference. Like they were still figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like Scott Hall eats a ladder directly in the ribs in this match. It's gross right at the start. Yep, exactly. I remember, yeah, watching that, it was just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, man. So, yeah, it was that was fun. It was awesome to talk some Scott Hall there. And, uh, yeah, I hope we did you proud, bad guy. And, uh, yeah, man, it's very, very sad day. I wish that the wrestling business could have benefited even more from Scott Hall's brilliance, although he, he did the wrestling business proud, and he left it way better than he found it so again rest in peace to one of the all-time greats razor ramon scott hall yep and thank you for listening to this special monday bam again we apologize for the lateness of this but we wanted to give the list some respect some real life happened we're both busy first nice weekend here in toronto you know and a bunch of stuff going on so thank you to everyone listening we'll be back in just a few days but before then tomorrow morning you're going to be getting the midweek markout. Wednesday morning, NXT Talk, 
Thursday. At some point, you get AEW's Dynamite Review as the old fucks chat all things Dynamite. That leads us into Friday when we're back. And then on Saturday, you get two shows as the Smack Daddies review all things SmackDown and the Dark Side of the Elite. They review Rampage on Rampage Rollout. Matt, thank you for the list. We'll be coming at you real soon. He's Matt. I'm Boris. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I go. You can't hide. Go find you and they yo, yo, want yo. me. Yo, I play my.